Hey, so um, he said it, but we, we just want to keep saying it. The reason we read a whole chapter is because we want you to think of the letter as a whole because that's exactly what it is. There's a real danger in just taking a few scriptures and preaching a whole sermon on it because a lot of times the preacher can actually just make the scripture say whatever they want it to say and use it as a launch pad. What we're hoping to see is, is disciples formed and shaped by the Spirit and by the Word. And to do that, you, you've got to preach and teach in a way that helps people learn to be self-feeders right? That you're not just coming in on a Sunday morning, feed me, feed me, teach me, teach me, but that like you're hungry for the Word of God. You're in the book of Galatians throughout the week. You're praying, you're seeking, but you're doing it in a way that understands in a context of the whole letter that fits the meta narrative of the whole Bible, right? That's why we do that, and so we're going to continue to do that um, because we want to be a people of the Word. Uh, the, the world is so unhinged from truth, uh, we live in a relativistic world where everybody has their, their, firm, their feet like firmly planted in midair. The wind blows this way, they go that way. If it goes this way, they go that way. And nobody has their lives anchored. And many times you can see the wreckage all around you. But God's word is true. It's true. It can, you can build your life upon a firm foundation of God's word. So many times though, we have access to the word of God Man, in, in just a myriad of ways, you can get it on your phone, your iPad, you can get it in numerous different versions and translations that are all good, and yet America can be one of the most Bible Ill illiterate places in all the world. And it ought not be. It just should not be. We should be a people who long to hear from God, and the way we hear primarily from God is His Word, right? And so let's ask Him to teach us as we continue in the book of Galatians. Amen? All right, so last week, if you were here, uh, we, we learned that Jesus has liberated us. He has set us free, and, and primarily to love, to love God and to love one another, to love the world, right? Prior to that moment, we were enslaved by principalities, our flesh. Uh, we were enslaved to Satan and sin, and he come and he set us free, and he says, not a religion nor irreligion that matters. What matters is faith working itself out through love right? It's trusting and loving, right? That is the fruit. And so we're going to continue with that same thought. But if we could be honest, there are times as Christians, we don't feel actually liberated to love, right? Can I get a witness? I mean, are you, if you're all knocking it out of the park this week and loving God and loving one another, you probably could just go get coffee or take a nap. You could pick. Um, but my guess is that's not your experience this week. You're still at times entangled in loving God and in loving others, right? In a church gathering for two hours, sure, right? Generally, people can keep it together. Hi, gosh darn it, how are you? And, but at home, where we're in the pressure cooker of lives, it's a little harder. It's a little harder because you feel a little safer around the people that you know are probably going to forgive you. They're probably going to continue to love you, probably to continue to bear with you. And so you feel a little more free to just be you. And so we can feel very entangled. And this can be confusing because a lot of times I think we, we wrongly paint a picture of Christianity as kind of like Ned Flanders, that everything's just going to be oakley-doakley. And I know some of you don't get that because I'm getting older and these things don't work. And some of you are like, I never watched The Simpsons. Maybe you shouldn't, but I did. And this guy, just everything just seemed to be awesome. He just seemed to love everyone and everything just so wonderful. And 
And then we come to Christ and it's like, that's just not my experience. I find it very hard sometimes to love. And then I can make the mistake of blaming others. But really, my biggest problem is me. And it can be confusing because our experience doesn't match up with what the truth of the word says, that we really have been liberated. But you haven't just been liberated, you've been actually empowered to love. So many times we focus on the gospel of being pardoned from our sins, and we should. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, is the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of Galatians, but we sometimes just leave it there. But the gospel doesn't leave it there. The gospel says, now you're empowered to love. Jesus says, best that I go away. The disciples are like, whoa, why? Well, because then I'll send the helper, the one who will reveal truth to you, the one who will lead you by my spirit is going to dwell in you and you'll be full of grace and you'll be full of truth. And so instead of me being in one place at one time on this earth, my people will scatter everywhere and fill this place with glory and bring glory to my father's name. Like, so we are a spirit filled people. If you're in Christ, you have the spirit. And that doesn't mean we always walk by the spirit. You know, the Bible is not a story of sugar and spice and everything nice like a Christian Hallmark movie. It's just not. It's much more gritty than that. If I were to say it's like a movie, I'd, you might never watch this, but I think you should. It's great. It's called Warrior. Okay, Eli has seen it. Um, it it's about two brothers, in, and they're in MMA. And you're like, I didn't come for this. Hang in there. It's just going to set the stage for the word, I hope. But these two brothers are in a fight for their lives. Inside the ring and outside the ring. Their life is a, is a wreck. They have a broken family that's been destroyed by, by alcoholism, right? They, their father's a raging alcoholic. And these brothers' lives have been torn apart, and they come together in a ring. And I won't spoil it for you in case you ever do watch it. You have to be a grown-up and look on, you know, plugged in, see if you should. But I don't think there's anything terrible in it. What you'll see is you'll see the gospel portrayed because their lives are a wreck and what breaks their heart isn't the fight in the cage it's love it's love and it's the same true for a christian the same gospel that brings peace with god brings war with sin not other people's sin sin that that just clings and entangles us and we've not been left alone so let's jump into the text Galatians 5, 16 through the end of the chapter, but let's look at just, let's just walk through the, the word a little bit. He says, but I say, Paul, he, he, remember, he's coming right out of loving one another and not biting and devouring one another, okay? So that's the context, that's the hinge point. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Pause. Let's, let's look at that for a little bit. There's two conflicting natures that are at work in every Christian, right? The work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh, or let's say sinful nature, our old man, our old selves, right? The, the human heart is kind of like an octagon, and inside that octagon is a fight all day, every day, between the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God, and you and your old nature, and they're fighting, they're warring, and, and this fight takes place in the heart of every Christian, before you were in Christ, before you came to Jesus for salvation, sin reigned supreme. You didn't really have that battle. You'd be like, yes, I did. You, no, you really didn't. I'm not saying you didn't have turmoil in your conscience because the law has been stamped upon your heart. But, but really, I mean, I got saved at 23. Prior to that, I just did whatever felt good to Scott Rising unless I thought, well, I'm going to get caught and get in trouble. So law then just ruled me. 
But it was, if I thought I couldn't get caught or I wasn't going to get in trouble, nothing would slow me down from getting what I wanted. I was my own God. Turn that around. You were your own God. You're like, I got saved when I'm four. Awesome. Prior to that moment, you were your own God. And we make horrible gods. I mean, we, we can't. We, we really can't even run our lives for four minutes, let alone an eternity, right? And so we just had war. We had this constant conflict. We, we never had struggle. Our whole life was struggle, but we never had the, the spirit saying, no, this is not good. This is not right. So listen, listen careful. We are free. We've been liberated. We are free to to fight sin, right? We're we're even free to win. I don't think that gets said enough. But listen, we still must fight. We must fight. This is for the Christian. This sermon, this piece, he's not talking to those who are outside Christ. Those who are not trusting in Christ, repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ and receive. And what you will receive is forgiveness of sins, adoption into the family, justified. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But prior to that, you're in a losing battle constantly because you're, you're, you're warring against God. But once you come into the faith, once you come into the family, you've been empowered to walk by the Spirit. You've been empowered to fight. Because the life of a Christian is really war. If we're going to have any chance of victory, we must walk by the Spirit. Notice those words, right? The word walk in the Bible, is, is often a metaphor for like practical daily living, right? Um, it, it's not just like, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, walk by the Spirit. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Okay, um, yeah. And, and they try to do it. But really, it's just, it's getting to know the God who loves you. It, it's being in His Word. It's praying. It's, it's, it's taking steps of faith and trusting that He's with you, that He's for you. It's knowing the Word. It's meditating on the Word. And it's all within a community of a people, right? Knowing we have real power now. And so this means really to yield or to submit. And the culture doesn't like that word, but the Bible loves that word. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. It's like you're God. Your Lord, I'm not. I submit. I walk with you. You you set the pace, Lord, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to get to know you. Thankfully, we have a God who's gentle and he's lowly and he's patient, right? Because when you're born again, it's not like you've got this thing all figured out. But your greatest problem has been resolved at that moment. The wrath of God is gone for you. And now you have his spirit. And he's at work in you and through you to make you more like himself. And so we, we, we yield, we submit to the Spirit's control of our lives, to His lead. How does that even work? Well, of course, it's by God's grace that we choose and, and walk by His side. Like, I almost picture, like, I remember, man, just Sarah, my, my little girl who's now 16, she'd just reach up and grab my hand, and we would take walks. And this is what it would look like, and we would just walk, and we would talk, and I would teach her. Well, in a different way, but in the same way, God definitely is living within you. He is taking up residency in you. And he is teaching you what it is like to be like the Father. Because all the children who see God for who he truly is want to be like him. But there's times we don't. And that's where the war ensues. So we must walk. We must walk with him. Think about power breaks, right? 
and, and I'm not a mechanic. I'm thankful for mechanics. Uh, I don't even change my oil. Some guys are like, but, but really, it's just it's not me, right? But I understand power brakes. When, who stops the car, you or the power brakes? Think about it, just for a moment. You could say you, but it's really not. It's actually the power brake system because if that thing's not functioning, you can put your foot on the brake pedal and it ain't going to stop you. So it needs to have power. But you still got to put your foot on the brakes, right? But it's not you and your strength. I remember before power brakes, man, I had to stand on that thing when I was a kid, right? And then my dad was like, eh, let me help you. And he put his foot over there. We had no power. But now that we are filled with the Spirit, we actually have power. Right? We receive this power. And so notice the beautiful promise that's in the text. If you walk by the Spirit, then look, you will not gratify or carry out the desires of the flesh, which is our sinful nature. It's a promise. You won't carry it out. You're going to either feed that Spirit that's within you, the Holy Spirit, or you are going to feed yourself right? Or gratify the desires of the flesh. You're feeding one and starving the other, or you're, you know, vice versa, right? There's no timeouts or truces within this war. It's constant. You're never neutral. You're never neutral. You're either walking by the power of the Spirit, or you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, and you think, no, uh, there's times where I'm not doing either. Wrong. Not at all. It's not the case. If you think that's the case, you don't even notice you're drifting, if you've ever been in a boat and, and you look at something and, and you just close your eyes for about an hour and a half, you're not the same place you were when you begun. You're adrift. You're adrift. You don't feel it, but it happens. And then when you wake up, you're like, whoa, how did I get here? Well, because you were not at war. You're never neutral. So now notice the next verse, 17a. For the desires of the flesh, your old nature, are against the spirit. So you see the conflict, see the war? And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are a, they're opposed to one another. There's a battle. There's always a war raging in the heart of all believers. So listen, it is important to expect a fight. It's important to expect a fight with spirit and your sinful nature. The battle's not a sign that something's wrong. Gosh, how many Christians get this wrong? Like, the battle inside your heart to love your neighbor, to love your spouse, to love the people within your home, it's not a sign that something's wrong, like many assume. As a matter of fact, it's a sign that the Spirit is at work within you. It's he, not it, he's waging war on the old you. And so you should be encouraged when you, you long to love and you come up short and you go back to him and say, oh, God, forgive me, help me. That's, that's a good thing because you're in the fight. You understand what's happening. Listen, we, we never get so far down the road in our walk with Jesus Christ that we no longer battle with sin. There's no such thing as sinless perfection. You, none of you have arrived. Some of you are further down the road. Praise God. Okay, and now roll up your sleeves and teach others what it means to walk by the Spirit, to know the Word of God, and then let them know, I still haven't arrived, so they don't look upon you as like the one who's great, but they look upon the one who has done this in and through you, who is great, Jesus, right? We want to make disciples of Christ. Mark it. Mark it. There, the closer you get to Christ, generally speaking, the more intense the battle is. Just mark it. This is your life. You're like, oh man, I just keep trying to follow Christ and my life just keeps getting harder. That's called normative Christianity. When I don't have a battle raging here, it's because I've said, Spirit, beat it. I'm doing me today. 
right? It's, it's a war. This is your life until you take a dirt nap or Jesus returns. Guaranteed. And so many times we think, well, that, that's, not, that's not the case for Christians. No, it is. The problem is we, just, we need so many more people who will fight that fight. Your greatest problem is you, not the world. Your greatest problem is you, not Trump. Your greatest problem is you, not Biden. Period. Mark it. And so God, help us. Thankfully, he loves us. And so he gives us himself and he gives us power because he wants to show his greatness in this world by loving people who love Trump and who love Biden. I just picked those because it's a hot button and I know I'm going to make someone upset and I like emails. <laughs> just kidding. I really don't. Send them to Kevin. And um, why does this battle happen? Look at 17b. You're like, we're getting to the end of the chapter. Hang in there. It'll go quickly. The first part's always the biggest because it builds. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's why the fight. That's why the fight. As a Christian, you have a new want to. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You desire to be like dad. I want to be like my father in heaven. And so this fight's keeping me from being like him. This intense war that happens, right? God's desire and plan for you is that you'd be more like his son so that the world might see this. As a new creation, our truest identity, listen, seeks Jesus, loves Jesus, worships Jesus, who is the light of all truth. That's our desire. That is our deepest want, too. And so while sin remains with many times a lot of strength it no longer controls us it no longer is our lord the spirit right it, it, it no longer controls our personality and our life the flesh now that's under the the control of the spirit so sinful behavior goes against our deepest desires ultimately our deepest want is to please the lord but we fall short look at verse 18 but if, and actually probably a better word there is since, since you are led by the Spirit. So if you're in Christ, you are led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. You no longer have to work to get God to love you. Christ loves you. You have now been set free from trying to earn God's love, right? Now the law is not bad. Now I see the law as not a measurement to try to get God to love me, but I see the, the law now as it's almost del it's delightful. Like, yes, I want to worship the Lord. Yes, I want to rest. Yes, I want to love my neighbor. No, I don't want to do these things. Why? Because that's my God. But the law had no power to transform you. Only a spirit could do that. Now that the spirit is living and dwelling in you, he's ripped out this old heart that longed for itself, and he's given us a new heart that longs to love him and love others made in his image. And so he's given us, so no, you're not under law. Listen, you can either be a slave to sin, that's under the law, right? Or you can be led by the Spirit, right? But you cannot be neither, and you cannot be both. So just mark that in your mind. If, if you're in Christ, you are now free, which means you are led by the Spirit, which means you've not only been pardoned for your sin, but you've been empowered for the battle. Therefore, we fight Fight what? Well, let's look. Let's look. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. And what you have here is you have the works of the flesh. And we'll get to the fruit of the Spirit in a moment. But I want you to see the glaring difference. It does not take a discerning giant to be able to say, that ain't good, that seems good. Right? So let's look. 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident, meaning you can see it, right? It's, it's very clear. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And in case I forgot something, in things like these, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. This is, this is not at all. If this describes you and your life, then we may have a problem, right? I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in your life. I'm saying, no, that happens. That's where we make war. But if this is like, this is like, yeah, you just ne- mentioned my whole entire life. One of a couple of things are probably going on here. A, you probably don't know the Lord. That's potential. Or you're just, you're not in a battle. You've just laid down on the mat and you've tapped yourself out. And you just do whatever you want. But there's a problem. Because here, it doesn't take a giant in, in the spiritual realm to understand that that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's maybe a spirit, but it would be demonic. But this is, this is the world. Do you recognize these? You should. Because this is you before Jesus saved you. And this is you at times even now. Which is why we make battle. Let's take a look at the works of the flesh a little bit more. They break down very nice into four categories. First one, I would say sexual sins, right? It's the first three words. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. See them? This world's completely out of control when it comes to sex. It's completely just confused. I mean, seriously, it is. And I know because... Until the Lord saved me, I was on that train, man, and it was headed to nowhere, but I was on it, and, and I was loving it, actually, at times. But, but this, is, this is just the world we live in. There's so many people, with, even in the church, that are so confused by this. We think it's, this is a picture of freedom. Just go and do whatever you want, but that's, that's not what real freedom looks like. No, God has designed sex as a gift. It is a good gift, by the way. It's given by God to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in the confinements of marriage. And so you enjoy it. But, but like all gifts that God gives, many times we can elevate gift above giver and we can make it God. And so that's what happens within the world. America is always promoting that this is what real freedom looks like. But look around. I don't see a lot of free people. I see a lot of very enslaved people, and, and they say that that's, that's their identity. This is what i got to have to have life, but they bought the lie. Jesus said, I am life. I have come that you might have life. To follow, to submit, to enjoy him is to enjoy life. And so this is talking about pornographic. Uh, this is talking about porn. This is talking about heterosexual people being shacked up in the same home, living as though they're married, even though they're not. That never gets highlighted. We always pick on everyone else outside the church because I don't want to say that because that person's actually here and they tithe. Too bad. It's wrong. It's not good. It doesn't honor God, right? And so anything outside of heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman is sin. That's what this is talking about. If that's you, if you're living in that life, if you're looking at porn, you cannot look at porn and pray at the same time. You're grieving the Spirit. I don't say that like, huh, you. I'm saying I, if I do any of these things, am grieving the Spirit. So, so turn to your God who wants to empower you to put that to death. And if you're like, that, that's not Christians, think of King David. Just think of King David for a moment. 
Many small steps lead to great falls, by the way. And we're seeing it. It's not, this ain't a problem outside the church. It's a problem within the church. Many great pastors have fallen prey to this. So put it to death. What about religious sins? That's the next one. Look, idolatry, sorcery. What is that? You know, we all witches? No. This is just refusal to worship the one true God, Jesus. That's all it is. It, it make, so I'd call this religious sins using that in a negative sense. Make no mistake about it. Every human worships somewhere. He, they worship someone or something. They all worship at the altar. They give themselves to it. We don't think like that, but it's a fact. We, it's taking a good thing. It's elevating it above God. It's worshiping the gift instead of the giver. And so this can happen with, this can happen with sex. We just discussed, but it can happen with marriage. You might be idolatrously loving your husband or your wife and hoping that they do a God thing for you and putting them under pressure all the time to perform. But your spouse makes a horrible God, and I don't need to know them. I just know. I love my wife. She's awesome, but she makes a horrible God. Same for me, right? And same for your spouse. This can happen with children. This can happen with career. It's just elevating anything above God, hoping it does a God thing. That's a work of the flesh. By the way, sorcery, it, it, it's much bigger problem in Greensburg than I ever would have dreamt. I mean, straight up. I, I pastored in, in Indiana, and I didn't see it near as much. But here, it is. It's, it's like we got this one dude in our neighborhood. He's flying the Satan flag outside his house. He's very proud. But then if you just look on the neighborhood app, you'll see Reiki Master, tarot card reading. You'll see the moon phase group that's going to meet somewhere this week. Come out and so you can hear. I mean, it's everywhere. We live in a very spiritual age. It's not holy spiritual age, but it is spiritual. And we mess with these things. And we ought not mess with these things because they are not good horoscopes right on and on these are just demonic ways of trying to manipulate circumstances to get what you really want that's that's all they really are are you dabbling in this if you are it's not innocent harmless fun it's actually dangerous it's not good it grieves the holy spirit i know a woman literally who left her family because she read something in a horoscope then went to a a Reiki master, a tarot card reader, and they said, yes, that is. And so she divorced her husband and left her family. And this woman would proclaim she was a Christian. She didn't just wake up one day and do that. It was a thousand steps that brought her to that moment. You think, oh, man, there's no spiritual activity. You, there are. You're either submitting and walking by the Spirit of God, or you are being led by another spirit. How about the next group, social sins? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy. Man, these are relationship killers. Just relationship killers, right? Um, we got to see these come to the surface over the past year and a half, big time. Everybody's fighting. We live in a nation of outrage. And, it, and, it, and it's sad. Listen, if you're a rageaholic, I know you because I was you. Jesus saved me. And and set me free. And it wasn't the day I came to Jesus. It was progressive. I mean, I used to be an angry young man. And the Lord continued just to work in me and through me. So I can stand here today and give testimony to God's grace that I have nobody that I'm angry with. Anybody that I hate. I understand that my enemies are not human. And so I'm free. Free to love. I'm free to love even if you don't like me. Why? Because I don't need you to love me. Why? Because I'm infinitely loved in God. That's freedom. But it took war. 
That took war to get to that point, and God gave much grace. How about indulgent sins? That's the next one. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. By the way, you might think orgies belongs up in sexual sins. It actually doesn't. It's just indulgence. It's, it's indulging in, in alcohol or in drugs and all these things. It's like the, ta- the turn down for what culture? You ever heard of that? Um, right? It's substance abuse. It's just, I mean, you can't just eat a steak. You've got to eat a whole cow right? Like you can't just have a beer. You got to have, you got to turn the whole 16 gallon keg up on its head, right? It's, it's just, it's overindulging. And I know none of you or America struggles with that. So let's just move on, right? Because I don't want to look at all these. I want to look at the fruit of the spirit because that's, if you're in Christ, which I trust the majority of you are, that's not our lives. That's not who we are. That person was nailed to a cross, and now we're spirit-filled people. But notice the stark warning before we jump into the rest. He says, I warn you. By the way, a warning's a warning. Don't be like, well, my Reformed theology doesn't allow for this. Let it wreck your Reformed theology. Notice what it says. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, true followers of Jesus, sin. We do. Mark it. It's not rocket science, but we don't love sin and we do not make a habitual lifestyle out of sin and we don't make excuses for our sin. A a, a Christian's marked by repentance and faith. That's the life of a Christian, right? So Paul's not seeking to undermine assurance here. He's not undermining salvation, like once saved, you are saved. I believe that. The Bible teaches that. However, what he is seeking to do is not let you stay in, in some kind of false assurance that you're his when you're not. And so, there's no other way to say it. Listen, if you are, if, if I just read those sins that labeled who we should be before we came to faith, but not who we are really right now, you really ought not have peace. You really shouldn't. You should go home and get in your face. Actually, maybe do that now and ask the Lord to search your heart and say, if that's me, oh God, help me. Give me grace. Save me. Help me, empower me, and then bring it out. Talk to Pastor Kevin, talk to me. Get around other Christians who will help you fight because you just might not know how. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying you ought to work through that. If that's your life, remember that we are saved by grace in Christ alone, in faith in Christ alone, not by growing fruit. So don't make that mistake, right? We're not saved by how fruitful our lives are, but there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. If not, if you live long enough, I mean, if you get saved now and boom, you die. Okay, maybe, but even that was fruit. True and genuine salvation leads to faithfulness and fruitfulness. It just does, period. And so let's look. What is that? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You don't need to turn down any of that. There's no ceiling. Go crazy with love. In the way that the Bible defines it, right? Not the way you want to define it. Go love some folks. Go love the Lord. Get crazy. Just have crazy peace, right? There's no law. This is what a redeemed, transformed life looks like. Now, you ask yourself, which one do you want? Because if you're in Christ, you're empowered to have this. That doesn't mean it's always yippee-skippy, oakley-doakley, everything's wonderful. No, it means now I make war on anything that comes 
against this. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of the Holy Spirit taking up residency in the life of all who trust in Jesus for their salvation. The Bible makes it clear that when, when you trust in Christ, you receive the gift of the Spirit. And that Spirit, is He's active. And He's actively working to make you more like Christ and less like you, right? Notice, by the way, that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It does not say fruits of the Spirit. I know fruit can be plural, but it's actually singular in this text. Okay, why does that matter? Is that even important? Well, because the fruit of the Spirit actually grows together. You, you can't grow in love and yet be really impatient with everyone. Like, well, I love you, but urgh, right? Um, it just doesn't work like that. They grow together. You grow in love. You grow in self-control. You grow together because all those things really are about love. They are about love. That's why love's first. Because this whole context is about love. To exhibit self-control around the people in your life is to love. You can say, well, he's producing love in me, but not that wrong. If you grow in one, you'll grow in all. But it doesn't mean you'll grow in all of them the same. It doesn't mean you'll grow in all of it, the, the fruit of the Spirit in the same capacity. You might struggle with self-control, but he's growing you there. You just might not have started out equal, right? And so... You might be stronger in one than the other. But let's take a look at these. By the way, caution. You're not a fruit inspector of your neighbor, of your spouse. Uh, I'm, by the way, I had to get corrected in this, of your children, right? Like, you are not like fruit of the loom, spiritual inspectors. Like, oh, let me look here. I just don't see you being very self-controlled here. This is for you. This is for your own personal evaluation, and by the way, this is only possible because of Jesus. So if you're, if you're exhibiting through the Spirit, it's not yay you. Thank you, Lord. It's grace. Jesus is the, the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit, quite honestly, right? So let's look. Let's, let's just look at them. Love. By the way, I'm going to mention how Christ exhibits that particular fruit and then how we ought to. So let's look. Jesus is the one who showed amazing love for sinners. Right? So now we're free to love. And, and, and by the way, a, a life that's marked by the Spirit is marked by love. That's the whole point. I mean, you, you're going to know my disciples by how they love one another. And joy, right? Jesus counted it all joy for the sake of the gospel to, to even suffer because he looked past that moment to the point when he would bring people into his family. And so you and I now, having the Spirit, have opportunity to enjoy him to delight in Him who's all-satisfying, to rest in Him, to rejoice in Christ, not just our circumstances. That's joy. That's joy. We, we have that. We have that power now. Jesus, who's the true peacemaker, right? He, he brings peace between God and man through the cross, and now we have the opportunity to rest in that peace, even while the world's going crazy around us. We can have peace that transcends all of that, right? Um, patience. Jesus is a man of great patience. It, he patiently endured while he put on flesh for 33 years before he finished his mission here on earth. That is patience, right? We now have the Spirit at work in us so that we can patiently endure through great suffering. Through great suffering. He will give us that patience. How about kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? Do I, even, I mean, Jesus showed great kindness to people, to, to beggars to the blind, to those who, who were sinning. I mean, this, he is 
perfect picture of that. Read the Gospels. Man, throughout the month of December, ask him to stir up your heart to love him more by reading a Gospel. Pick one, right? And what you'll see is you'll see Jesus, God incarnate with kindness, with gentleness, with faithfulness, and that's how he is towards you. If you see God just frowning upon you and just so disappointed in you because you're just not bearing fruit, wrong. He's full of mercy. His mercy's more, as we sung this morning, right? And so true fruit of that is we're able to serve others without expecting anything in return because we have everything in Christ. That's what that looks like. We're able to love our neighbors when they don't love us back. That's what that means. Self-control, Jesus is the one who, the only one who didn't indulge in his own appetite. Although, in a sense, I guess he did because his appetite was for, the, for his father. So he overindulged. He, I can't, you can't overindulge in God, right? He just enjoyed his father. And so all the other things of this world just ceased to have any hold of him. He was the freest man ever. And he was so free that he enslaved himself in one sense by saying, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. That's a picture of freedom. Jesus says that's freedom. We're free to actually just submit to that kind of love. God help us. Don't make this, by the way, a, a list of to-dos. Well, I'm going to work on self-control this week. You'll fail. You'll fail, right? We're not called to attempt to muster up or try to, you know, make fruit just happen. That's not how this thing works. But you might actually be sitting there honestly saying, I don't love like that. How do I do that? How do I bear fruit? What, what's that look like? I mean, okay, just walk by the Spirit. What's that mean? And the question is, what is our part and what is the Spirit's part? That really is the question, right? Because there's two common errors that people make when, when it comes to walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, right? That's a command. How do I do that? Well, some say it's all Spirit, no effort on my part. Some will say, well, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. It's all me, and it's behavioral modification. And neither are true. It goes back to the power breaks, right? He gives power, but you've got to put your foot on the brake. You've now been empowered to obey, to enjoy, to follow, to wake up every morning and remind yourself of the gospel. So how do we do that? That's the last piece. Look at that right now with me, 24 and 20 through 26. How do we do it? We remember the gospel as we live by the Spirit, right? That we belong to Jesus Christ. So look at this text and I think you'll see it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Listen, true fruit is a supernatural work of the Spirit. It is. You can't produce fruit any more than I could speak something into existence right now. Right? Jesus produces fruit in us, look, because we belong to Him. It's just it's John 15. I'm not going to be able to go there, but it's abiding. He's the vine. We're the branches. Life comes from Him, right? And, and even, man, the Father's the vine dresser. He comes and He prunes out things in our lives, bad things, but even good things. Why? Because He wants you to produce more fruit because that brings Him more glory and it's best for you, 
But we, man, we're, we're connected. We're abiding in the vine. If we forget who we are, listen, or even say it differently, whose we are, we will fail to be who we ought to be, or actually who we are. Who we are. You're becoming what you already are in Christ. You just can't see it. You're justified. You're fully righteous. My actions don't show it, but I am. I'm as holy and righteous as Jesus Christ. You're like, whoa, you are too if you're in Christ. You have his perfect righteousness in the courtroom of heaven, but not in your everyday life. And he is working to make you, to make that reality happen so that the day when he returns, you will be glorified and you will be in a glorified state with a glorified body, with a glorified mind and glorified emotions. And all of that becomes reality. But I want you to know in heaven, it's already done. It's already done. But he's making us really who we are. That's why we got to understand our identity in Christ. This is why by God's grace, we walk by the Spirit. Know the words. We're led by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. And as we do this, the Spirit works in us to produce this fruit. So, notice it's walk, not run. There's other places in the Bible it says to run. There's other places where it talks about sprint. There's another place where it talks about being a marathon. But this is a walk. So don't leave here discouraged thinking, I don't think I've, I've produced enough fruit. You'd be, you're not hearing if that's what you're hearing. It's a journey. It's a walk. Man, I look at the young man at 23 when I got saved to where the Lord has me today, and I've grown. And if you look at me some days, you're like, I don't know that you have. That's why you don't look at one day. That's why you don't look at one day. You don't look at a snapshot. You need people around you to say, no. Scott, do you remember how you might have handled that then? Yeah, you got angry, but that guy's still standing. That's victory, right? And the same goes for you. He's at work in you. Still, what does this mean practically? Well, gospel is not opposed. Listen, grace is not opposed to earning, Dallas Willard said. And I love how he says it. Grace is... Listen, grace is opposed to earning, right? But not effort. That's the quote. So, so think about those words, right? Notice Galatians 2.20. We're almost done. But, but I, don't want, I, want to, I want to land this plane slowly because I, I want you to hear there's very practical application to the truth of what you're hearing. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. So you're dead. You're dead. When? You were nailed to the cross some 2,000 years ago. It's no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does this look like? Okay, this is where I lose some of you. But that's okay. Um, I'm not going to ask if you ever watched the movie Pet Cemetery. I'm not even recommending you should, but I'm going to give you a picture because I think it's a great picture of what this thing looks like. Um, Pet Cemetery is a terrible movie written by Stephen King, but I watched it as a young man. And what it was about was this guy who had a cat, and he loved the cat, but I think he loved his kids more. The cat gets hit by a semi-truck and dies. So they talk about this little witchcraft area that if you take and bury the cat, it'll come back to life, and then all the kids will stop crying. I know, you just hang in with me, ma'am. I hope you'll come back. Um, but there's a real point to this. So he takes the cat out. He puts it in the cemetery. The next day, here comes the cat, and it's alive. I know, ooh, weird, don't do that. But 
like, like, like dirt dripping off it, and it's terrible. Okay, that cat's not the same. If you know the movie, or if you've read the book, he's, he's a little demonic cat, and he wrecks havoc within the home. As strange as this sounds, that is a picture of what Paul's talking about here. But they welcomed that cat in the house and pet it and loved it and pretended that it was actually a friend of the family. Now, you're like, I still don't get it. Hang in there. You were nailed to the cross when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But when that old self comes back around, you treat it like that cat. You pet it. You welcome it. You think it's your friend. It's not your friend. It's seeking to devour you. And what you need to remind that old nature is that you, my friend, are dead. Notice the word says, have been crucified. You're dead. You have no reign, no power in this house, this residency. It's got a new nature. I am born again. Metamorph. That's literally what the word means. You have been transformed. The old you is gone. You're new. You're new. But we don't do that. We welcome it. We say, yeah, come on. Come hang out with me. And, and we pet it and we think it's our friend. But seeking to devour you. You, you wouldn't invite a lion into your home when it's a baby and think someday it's just going to love me and I'm going to hug it and we're going to wrestle it. It's an apex predator. It seeks to kill you. But we do this with our old nature. We just think, no, it's not a big deal. And so we just allow pet sins to happen in our lives instead of doing what that guy should have done in that movie, which was take that cat back out to the grave and kicked it back in there and chucked the dirt back over it because you're not welcome here. That is, that's war. That's what it means. That's what it means. I could have got more graphic there, but I could tell I've already lost you with this one, but that's okay. It's okay, because I want you to have the violent picture of what it means to be a Christian. Violence against who? John Piper would say, yourself. And not like beating yourself or anything strange like that. It's just taking this thing and dragging it into the light, saying, that's not me. It's repentance. It's faith. It's saying, you have no residency here. And you just go and you bring it into the light. So what does this thing look like? What does it look like in real life? I'm going to give you four words. Ready? It's, it's consider. So as you read this text today, throughout the week, I want you to consider your life in light of the truth of the scripture and ask yourself, is there any pet sins that I'm allowing myself to happen? And is, is there is a cat welcome on my couch? If so, I want you then to confess that. I want you to bring that before the Lord. So that's the second word, confess. I want you to confess it. I want you, to, not that you're giving God information, but you're agreeing with him. Lord, this is not good. This is not right. I'm confessing this to you. I want your way. I want your truth. And the truth of God's word will set you free, right? So you abide in that. So you confess it. And then what you do is by God's grace, third word, you commit you commit. That might mean you need to do certain things. It means you might not need to go certain places or hang out with certain people. But whatever it is, you make war on that thing that's seeking to steal joy from you. You think it's there to make your life better. No, it's seeking to steal joy from you. And by God's grace, He will give you power and you will change. You will change. That's the fourth word. And so, so that's what it looks like to make war. And you do this all within community. This is not something that you do by yourself because your sin doesn't just affect you. 
Your sin affects the family, the church. This is in the context of a church. So the gospel is miracle grow to the Christian. So we, we believe it. We receive it. We sing it. We pray it, right? It shows us we can't measure up. And then it points us to Jesus who's measured up perfectly in our place. He's the one who went to the cross to die for the sins you and I have committed. And so we trust him. And Jesus lovingly welcomes you, receives you, washes you, forgives you. Oh, man, he empowers you. He keeps you. He renews you. He gives you real power because he's given you his spirit. You belong to him. I have been crucified with Christ. Dead. I know it's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith, trusting in him, believing in him. He's the one who loves me. How do I know? He gave his son to die for me as a sinner. He loved me. He gave himself for me. So I, I want to freely give myself to you. That is your spiritual worship, by the way. That is your worship. And so as we take this good news deeper and deeper into our hearts, with the help of the Spirit, we can't help but worship. And that is how you produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's how He produces the fruit in your life. It's a better way to say that. So as we behold Him, as we adore Him, as we enjoy Him, we become whom we behold. That's your life until you die. How are you doing in your fight? That's the question. My hope is great. And if not, I still got great hope. Because he who begins this good work, he's faithful, even when you're not. And he'll bring it to completion because he always completes the things he begins. So even when you're not committed, oh, he's so committed for you. He's so for you. He sees you struggling. And he's like, I got you. But that doesn't mean he won't discipline his children. He will. So don't trifle with sin like it's some little line on your couch. Take it outside, kick it back in the grave, kick some dirt over it, and get back to worshiping. That's the Christian life. That's what Paul's saying. Let's seek to be like Christ by his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have liberated us from Satan's sin and death, that you have empowered us to be a people who love you, who love one another, and who will love this world, not just in word, but actually in deed, that we will seek to lay down our lives for the good of our, our neighbors so that they might experience joy and vitality and life in you, because it's the only place it's found. Real life is found in you, Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would just work mightily in all of us, that we would, man, that you just fill our hearts and minds with the things of the Spirit, that you would fill our hearts with more of you, that we would decrease, that you would increase, and that we would make the name of Jesus more famous here in Greensburg. Not that you become more famous, you can't be more famous, but that people would know that this people is marked by your spirit, that we'd be a spirit and dwelt people seeking to love one another, and that that would shine throughout the city of Greensburg to the ends of the earth. We ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.